we, we just keep solving our own problems. And the next problem that we're solving is most of the people who we work with were CrossFit gym owners who fell uninspired by CrossFit. You know, 10 years ago when they opened, they were like, this is the thing. And that 10 years in, they're like, this is not the thing. And what I'm realizing now more and more and more is that we need an entirely new business model that is completely departed from anything that looks, feels, smells like the gym they used to own. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Dr. Sean Pastuch. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new in my neck of the woods, and a deep thought that will hopefully make you a better trainer, coach, and or human being. So what happened this weekend? Man, not a lot. It was actually kind of refreshing in some instances because it rained all of last week here in Indiana. And when I say all of last week, like literally every day, except maybe like half of one day, I feel like it rained. So uh, really put a damper on the weekend activities. We didn't have any sports Friday, no sports Saturday. So no baseball game, no soccer game. Kendall did have a track practice, but that's super easy on my part because I just go and hang out and walk the dog and walk around for a little bit. So that was pretty nice. Saturday, took the fam, had some pizza for dinner, went and saw the new Doctor Strange movie. Definitely enjoyed that. A little bit different and a lot of things that can happen. No spoilers if you haven't seen it, but man, if you're a fan of the Marvel timeline and just the Marvel IP as a whole, all kinds of cool stuff that they can do after that. So yeah, that's what happened Saturday. Sunday was Mother's Day. Again, shout out to all the moms out there. I think I touched base with all of them. Obviously tried to do some nice things for Jess. Uh, got to talk to my mom on Skype, saw her mom live and in the flesh because they live about 25, 30 minutes from here. So yeah, it was all good. Uh, even put my man skills to the test, built a little fence to hopefully keep the rabbits out of our little garden. Um, I don't know why, but these rabbits are like just voracious. So I built like this little two foot fence using some stakes and some chicken wire fence. We'll see if I can defeat these guys. They are precocious little things they are into everything but hopefully this fence will hold the test of time Uh, i'll post a picture of it on the gram at some point in time here i'm pretty proud of it just gonna say for you know me building it myself with minimal help and feedback i feel like hopefully it's gonna work so anyway built the fence this week coaching per usual very busy week i thought it was gonna be a lighter week but then my guys are coming back early i got another new guy in this week uh, played in the G League, played uh, some actual legit NBA minutes on a 10-day. So yeah, exciting. Always love the summertime and love having these guys in. Started a new batch of interns today, which is always uh, the start of a fun process at the gym. And I always tell them, like, look, there's no bad time to intern at IFAST, but the summer is really fun. I feel like you get such a wide mix of people that come in You've got all of like my basketball players. You've got all of our college athletes that come back. The high school and middle school age kids are spread out across the day. And I feel like everybody is just a little bit more relaxed and in a little bit better mood when they see the sun regularly. So definitely excited to have these interns in. They seem like a great group and just excited to continue to help the young coaches in our industry grow and evolve. And you know we do it on a very small scale with the internship program, but I feel like that small scale can create a very massive impact because we just get so much time and so many reps with these young people. So excited to have them on. Now, before we jump into the the new episode this week, I want to give you my deep thought for the day. And I've thought about this a lot lately. You know, you have these times in your life where you can reflect and think about things that have maybe given you a leg up or things that have helped make you successful. And I think one of the things that has allowed me to be successful over my career is that for the most part, right, not always, not all the time, but for the most part, I've always thought about playing the long game. And it's a weird dichotomy because there's two parts of it. You want to hustle in the short term. You want to work hard. You want to do the things necessary to succeed. But you're working hard in the short term while not expecting the results for an extended period of time. I think that's where most people go wrong. Most people hustle, hustle, hustle and expect an immediate reward or they expect that immediate gratification. Oh man, I'm killing myself. I should get a promotion in two weeks or I should land that dream job in six months. 
And it doesn't always work like that. And in fact, a lot of the things that I've done over my life have taken extended periods of time, right? When we're talking about the gym, you know, I feel like there's been numerous times where we built up and maybe there's been a little bit of a lull. Obviously for us, COVID was not a great time. Even for like a year and a half, two years afterwards, there's still been just some ripples through the fitness industry as a whole, but we've always played the long game with the gym. We've never tried to just shortchange things or do things in a haphazard approach. We've always played the long game with the gym, and that's why we have such great retention of the clients and athletes that we have. That's why we have people that have been there legitimately closing in on 10, 11, 12 years now of our 14-year existence. So that's pretty cool. With my NBA program and my, my basketball program that I've worked to cultivate, I never went in assuming I was going to have 10 NBA guys the first summer that I did it. In fact, I think we had like one, one and a half legit NBA guys to start, and it's slowly grown over the years. And what's really cool with that, and I think what makes me the most proud of that program, is the fact that these guys aren't in the NBA when we start with them, but we play a small part of that process between us and what Joey Burton is doing with his skill development. Like we're helping build these guys athletically, physically, from a skill development perspective that's allowing them to perform at the highest level. So that's really cool. Uh, With my certification, with my online content, I never wrote one article and thought, oh, this is it. I've said it all. Like this is the only article that I'll ever need to read. I mean, I've tried. If you go back and you look at the long form articles on like squatting, bench pressing, deadlifting, doing push-ups, man, those are really comprehensive, well thought out articles. But whether it's that or my certification, I've always built them for the long haul and knowing that like, hey, I want these to stand the test of time. I want them to be able to be referenced for years or maybe potentially decades to come. So just remember, if there's ever a time in your life where you're feeling like defeated or run down or like you're putting in the effort and you're not getting the results, just remember that everything that's really important in your life, everything that's really impactful in your life is going to take time. It's not going to be this overnight transformation or overnight success that just doesn't happen like that. I know the media wants to portray it like that, but a lot of times the people that you see or are labeled as overnight successes have been toiling and grinding away in the background for years, if not decades, to get to where they are today. So that's it, my friend. Play the long game. And I mean, ultimately, that's where it's at, right? Like very few of us that are in this space, I think, are in it for the short term. Take the time. Do things the right way. And ultimately, you're going to be rewarded. All right. Let's take a quick break. Let's hear from my friends at Exerfly. And then we're going to jump into this awesome episode from my guy, Dr. Sean Pastuch. Today's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Exerfly. If you're unfamiliar with flywheel training, it's a method of strength training where your athletes generate resistance by using the inertia of a flywheel instead of traditional gravity-based resistance training. By accelerating and then decelerating a disc, your athletes generate resistance at all phases of the movement. This allows for high force training as well as eccentric overloading without the need for crazy heavy weights. I first got interested in flywheel training because I wanted my athletes to be better prepared for sport. Standard free weight training is great for the early preparatory phases, but I wanted something that could improve the rate of force development in both the concentric and eccentric phases of the lift. Most importantly, I wanted to make sure my athletes were prepared for those eccentric forces that they'll encounter in sports. And with their motorized technology, the Exerfly allows you to increase the eccentric phase of the lift from anywhere from 1 up to 80%. The biggest objection I had early on was learning a new piece of tech or equipment. After all, sometimes these things sound great, but really aren't all that functional, or they take forever to figure out. But luckily, if you take the time to watch a few short videos and experiment a little bit, you'll be using the Exerfly like a pro in no time. Setup is quick and easy, and my athletes are absolutely loving it. Last but not least, there are tons of different exercises and variations you can use as well. Whether we're talking squats, hinges, presses, split squats, if you can think of it, chances are you can figure out a way to do it with the Exerfly. The really cool thing is Exerfly is used by numerous teams in the NFL, NBA, over 50% of the English Premier League, and numerous Olympic developmental programs as well. 
Now as a small business owner, I normally think, hey, this is way outside of my budget, I can't afford it, because we all know in a small business, every penny counts. But Exerfly has you covered there as well. They offer 36 month interest-free financing, so you can get started ASAP with your training and pay as you go. And when you factor in a 30 day money back guarantee, two year warranty and free shipping, I really believe this is a solid investment. Look, the bottom line is this, if I don't really love something, I'm not going to promote it on my show. I love my Exerfly, the results I'm getting with it, and I think you will as well. To learn more, head over to exerfly.com so you can start building some savage athletic beasts in your gym. Again, that's exerfly.com. Dr. Sean Pastuch grew up around the fitness, health, and wellness industry. And when he graduated Cairo school, he ended up opening a clinic and a CrossFit gym. He didn't want to be that Cairo who tells you, you need to do this exercise and be on X program, then pat you on the back and see you next week. He works with people and athletes who don't want to deal with pain and injury anymore. And at the same time, don't want to stop their training or don't want to keep modifying their workouts every time there's a workout that has overhead movements. In this show, Sean and I talk about the fitness industry as a whole, why trainers and coaches should be working to bridge the gap between training and healthcare, and the advice he'd give both his younger self and the young trainers and coaches listening to this show. Sean has a really unique viewpoint on coaching and how we can improve our industry, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. But enough for me, let's do this. Sean, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? A little bit about myself. I can tell you as little or as much as you would like. The The story that I think your listeners will be interested to know is that my background is I started off as a personal trainer working in the gym that everybody pictures when they close their eyes and they think about gyms of the 90s. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was there isn't enough floor space for all of the equipment that we're trying to put in here. How do we get these things as close to each other as possible so that, you know, all the big heavy equipment can fit. And I learned all of the things about the fitness industry working in this gym from how to sell a personal training session to uh, how to clean the mirrors with newspaper to, oh, that that was a bag full of steroids that I just sold to somebody from behind the front desk without (laughs) without knowing it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, all of it all yeah. of it. uh someone came in to buy a gym bag i was like we don't sell gym bags he's like no there's a bag for me behind the front desk it's i have exact change for you i'm like and i looked oh yeah there's a bag okay here you go <laughs> and he gave me like 800 bucks I'm like that's not what a gym bag costs yeah. it. um but so i started there and i i didn't i didn't love everything about it so i went and i started working at equinox which was the the castle on the hill, if you will, yeah. of, of gyms at the time. And I learned a lot more about how to run a professional business, but I kept on finding myself uninspired because I would bring my clients who were the ones who were like, I feel like my entire client roster was the person who someone in their family told them, you got to change. Something has to change. Right. And and so they were like, okay, they joined the gym because their family member told them that they needed to. And then they showed up. They didn't know what to do. They felt lost. They were going to leave. And so they needed to work with a trainer. So I ended up working with them. Okay. Right. Because either someone else on the staff recommended me to them or one of my clients knew them, whatever have you. Right. And I would take them upstairs or I would go upstairs on their behalf to the physical therapy suite. And I would say, hey, my client Barry has ALS. How do I know what kinds of things I can do with them? They're like, oh, well, like, you know, just trial and error. If you can't do it, just avoid it. I'm like, okay. <clears throat> hey, my client George has knee pain. How do I help George? Oh, well, just avoid the things that hurt his knee. Okay. <laughs> um, Eileen has frozen shoulder. What do I do with Eileen? Just anything that has to do with the rest of her body, just avoid her upper body. I'm like, this can't possibly be. Right. Like the, these people literally joined because they were hoping someone could help them with the exact things that you're telling me to avoid. Right. And so I fell out of love with that, went to chiropractic school, came out of chiropractic school, opened my, you know, fast forward a little bit, working in my parents' clinic, my dad's clinic, opened my own gym, CrossFit gym, my own clinic. And I was like, I'm going to save the world. Mm-hmm. This is how it's going to be, right? Like I, I got, I have all the tools. And <clears throat> I was right. I had many, uh, but what I was missing was focus 
what I was missing was purpose. It was just, you know, treat patients, treat clients, and we're on our way. And it got to the point that I had, the day I realized I was doing the wrong thing. I had, that week, I had worked with an Olympian who won a medal at the Olympics in 2016 and again in 2020, technically, 2021. Yeah. Uh, a professional baseball player and two CrossFit Games champions, as well as countless other CrossFit Games athletes. I came back to work after a day off. My schedule was full. And I was like, which is not how it's supposed to be. Right. And so I realized this is not what I want to do. And I I set out to change the world and start to bridge the gap between fitness and healthcare. Because what I realized was I was trying to fit my business into the box that was expected of it and, and push the margins of that box as much as possible without becoming something totally different when the real, I just needed to become something totally different. Right. And so spent 2018 uh, working with as many people as we could one-on-one, helping them get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym from anywhere in the world online. I recruited a staff so I didn't have to do it all by myself as we grew. Uh, 2019 started educating coaches and, and really helping them to deliver the value to their clients actually late 2018. And now we've been approached by gym owners from around the world because they're the coaches who work with us are the ones who were actually successful during COVID. They're the ones who were successful before COVID. When the average coach makes 1500 bucks a month, these coaches are making eight, $9,000 a month. They're like, what's going on? How do I get more of this? Right. And so now our company has those three legs, right? Leg number one is we help the individual from anywhere in the world get out of pain without going to the doctor or giving up their active lifestyle. Number two is we help coaches become professionals through 13 months of dedicated education where they are assigned a mentor. They have one-on-one meetings with the mentor, one-on-one meetings with subject matter experts. They go through three hours of didactic material every single week, assignments and quizzes that they need to pass where the, the competition to them is someone who has a high school diploma and a weekend certification at best. Um, and we teach gym owners how to make sure that they can fill their business with people like that. So they can service the people who feel like the fitness industry has forgotten about them. The healthcare industry doesn't understand them and they can service them with coaches who've become professionals who only want to see those people walking through the door. I love it. I love it. Now, before we get into the, the big stuff, I'm interested, like what got you started in all this? Right. Like, let's go way back. Like you're yeah. a young boy, was, young kid, whatever. What got you into all this? I was skinny. So I, <laughs> I in, high, in high school, um, I was a very good baseball player and I was an average wrestler and I was a bad basketball player. And so I got cut from the basketball team in seventh grade and eighth grade and in ninth grade. And so instead I wrestled 103 pounds. What am I going to do? I wrestled. Um, and the kid who was ahead of me in my weight class took eighth place at national freestyles for people who don't know what that means. What it means is the guy ahead of me was the eighth best wrestler in the country in my weight class. Right. And I weighed 103 pounds. You're not going down. <laughs> right. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to, uh, the, the future I see here is I'm probably on JV as a senior and I have too much pride and ego yeah. to allow that to be the case. Yeah. And I got cut from basketball three times. I need to prove to myself I can make the basketball team. So I did. You know, my sophomore year, I made the team, ended up being captain and continued to grow that way. But when I got to college, I was I got recruited to play baseball at two Division One schools and countless Division Two and Division Three schools. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to play baseball at a, at a Division One school in a power conference. Not one of these Division One schools you tell your friends about. And they're like, where is that? Yeah. So I went to University of Maryland, tried out for the team and got cut. And the coach told me, love love your fastball love your love your slider love the way you hold runners on you throw strikes it's great you're just not big enough i'm like what i'm not who cares (laughs) right um but so i was like all right i'm gonna get big and so i started lifting weights and trying to put muscle on uh i spent two years and my junior year i tried it again i got cut again same reason not big enough i'm like all right i'm getting bigger um i never got that big Right. She wasn't, it's not in my, right. I'm 165 pounds as we speak right now. Um, but I learned a lot about what it would take to get big. 
And I learned a lot about what, you know, what, what I needed to eat, how often I needed to train, what kind of sleep I needed to have, what a program should look like. Oh, getting big biceps doesn't actually make me any better at this. So I need to, I need to do this differently. And that's where it all started in the, in the, in the community recreation center at university of Maryland in 2005. Love it. Okay. So I'm just going to jump right into the deep end here because we were chatting before the show and you said go full bore. So let's yeah. just talk about this email exchange that we had before the show because I love this comment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's your comment. I believe the fitness industry is lacking self-awareness and that's why it's generally not valuable. Now that's it's a big, that, that's a big statement. So expand on it for me. Let's start with that. I'll give you some statistics. Okay. I'm not usually the guy who does this, but I, I, I feel like it's necessary for the purposes of me laying out my case before I come to closing arguments. Yes. In the year 2000, there were 32 million people who had a gym membership in the United States. In the year 2022, there are 65 million people who have gym memberships in the United States. According to URSA, which is the International Health and Racket Sports Association, the average age of the person who joined those gyms is 25 years old across those years. What that means is that three quarters of the people who joined gyms or were members of gyms in 2000 are now over the age of 35, right? Three quarters right. at least, if not more. Right. I believe that the person who's over the age of 35 stops caring as much about the abs, the ass, the ego, the biceps, as the person who's 18 to 25, who all of the marketing and all of the services are for. Right. Um, in the United States right now, 67% of people are overweight. Almost 50% of them are suffering from obesity. And 50%, 5-0, are dealing with musculoskeletal pain every day. There is a doctor, a coach, for one in every 1,000 or fewer people in the United States. There is a gym for every 2,500 adult Americans, 18 and over, in the United States. How is it possible that we have all of this access available? And access is not the problem. And we still have these major issues. It's because neither the healthcare industry nor the fitness industry understands how our society is changing. And they are not changing what they do in a substantive way to meet people where they're at and help solve their problems. I'll give you some specific examples. One of the things that we do at Active Life is help these big commercial gyms improve their personal training departments, right? So the average personal trainer, if, if we actually called today to a, uh, what's the gym called? LA Fitness, just to do some market research for a client of ours who's local to them. LA Fitness pays their trainers $13.50 for a paid session at the location where we call. $13.50. Ask yourself, if medical doctors made $13.50, how viable would medical schools be? <clears throat> They'd be out of business. Yeah. And so there, there are two things that must be true in order for us to expect any kind of excellence to come out of the training department. There must be <clears throat> a reward for improving the efficacy of the training department. And the people in the training department must believe that they can achieve that award if they improve their efficacy, right? Because it can be like, oh, we need, it's gotta be hard, but if you're still paying 1350, nobody's buying. Right. Right. So when we talk to commercial gym owners like LA fitness owners, and we say, we would love to help enhance the education of your personal training department. Ah, no, you know, we, we have this thing. They're already getting the improvement. Got it. They don't identify that their training department needs to improve. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm also totally conscious that like maybe they just think that we're no good. I'm, I'm down to accept that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, when you look across the board, they're not improving the quality of the training department except through something that's called Club Connect, which is a free way for all of these people to get CEUs from companies like NASM. But NASM will give you a CEU for becoming a social media influencer. There's a course for that. So <clears throat> ISSA, which is another major credentialing agency, We'll give you CEUs for becoming a glute specialist. <laughs> we're, not, we're not identifying the problems of our society and creating solutions to meet them at scale. 
these gym owners who don't want to spend money on continuing the education for their staff will very happily buy two, three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of treadmills, selectorized equipment, whatever the hot new thing is. Because they know that the way that they're going to get people to come and pay them is fill the business with this sexy, expensive stuff that people can't put in their garage, tell them they need it, get them to come and hope that they never come back. Or for those who do come back, hope that they ask a trainer how to help them use it. And then the trainer is like, um, I, I, I guess I could help you learn how to use that. Sure. <laughs> And they're all tactics, no foundation. Wow. I mean, pretty spot on there, dude. Like pretty spot well, think, on. Think about it, Mike. I mean, people, if you ask the average adult American right now who's over the age of 35, how do you feel? And they're, and they're prepared to be honest. They're going to tell you they feel fat. They feel injured. They feel old. And they feel insecure about themselves. Yeah. How is that still, how is that still possible when we have all of this access? I was talking to somebody yesterday who who has a commercial a um, corporate wellness arm to his business. He's like, "How do we do corporate wellness better?" He's asking me about it. I said, "Describe what you do." And basically, what he described is, we provide fitness access to their employees. Right. I'm like, well, so let me guess. The 10 to 15% of their employees who already would be fit and accessing a gym and getting coaching are the ones who are coming to you. But the 20% who are driving all of their healthcare costs, who are missing work the most, who are the most unhealthy, who are dealing with the most internal issues, none of them come to you. Like, yeah, how'd you know? Like, because you're not providing a solution that is aimed at them. You're providing a solution that you, you believe that the issue is access. The issue isn't access. The issue is efficacy. The issue is the same way that we need a trainer to understand if you do this hard work to get this education and gain this experience, you can make this kind of money. The money needs to be there and the education, the experience needs to be there and they, one needs to lead to the other. The average person right now who feels old, injured, overweight, and uninspired and secure, they're like, I, why would I do all this hard work when I'm not going to get results anyway? So we need to prove that you can get results and this is the work that's required to obtain them. And how do you make that happen with this bottom 20%? Because I feel like that's such an interesting dynamic. You, you know, talk to them. Yeah. You talk to them. You have to get in their head. So the thing is, like, if you look at the advertising for all of these, these products, these systems, it's all people who are abs popping out, telling sure. you how oh, this workout was great. And even things like the Nutrisystem, like that you know, the, the nonsense, fake food, Optivia, all that stuff that's on the marketplace. It's like, it's all about like, you can lose weight. They know they want to lose weight, but they also know that they've gone up and down before and that you're just in the next thing. They know that that's not sustainable for them and it's predatory. And so what happens is you start asking people who feel this way, why do you feel this way? What have you tried? Why do you think that hasn't worked? Is it a priority for you to fix it right now? Why is it a priority for you to fix it right now? What are the things that are driving you towards it? What are the things that are coming up in front of it where you can't actually do it? And when you start to have those conversations with people, what becomes really clear and really identifiable is that they don't believe the work that they're going to put in is going to be worth it because the person who they're talking to doesn't understand where they are. When people say things like, start your weight loss journey here, people who have 100 pounds to lose more like a hundred plus, they're like, motherfucker. <laughs> I started my weight loss journey at my therapist's office. Right. You're where it ends. Stop telling me to start my weight loss journey with you. You don't understand me. Right. When, when somebody says I have low back pain, it's been holding me back from exercising. And you start telling them, you know, we can work around any injury or limitation. They're like, I, I don't want to work around my injury or, or have limitations. The whole point is I want to come to you so that those go away. Right. And so it's, it's, it's sharing with this audience of people. <clears throat> Look, we understand that you feel like this. We understand that the reason that you feel like this is because you've tried all of these things. We understand that the reason why those things didn't work is all of these factors. 
And so we know that if we're going to help you effectively, we need to be able to prove these things. We know that for you to take the first step, you need to believe all of this is possible. So we're going to make the first step really easy for you. And we're going to come to you. And you make them a, <clears throat> an emotional offer that doesn't cost them any money, that provides them the opportunity to be like, I might be able to change my beliefs here. And the only way that that starts in a corporate wellness space, for example, is ownership has to want to do it for the right reasons. When they say to you, what's my financial ROI? I'm like, you're doing the right thing. And, and typically that comes around. But what it means is that guy, Fred, who last month he celebrated, you put him on the website, you put him on an email to everybody on the team as the employee of the month. Fred did a great job. You know Fred worked 12 hours a day. You know his marriage is struggling. You know he's not seeing his kids. You know he ate lunch at his desk from some fast food delivery place. You know he gained 10 pounds last month. As long as you celebrate that that's what Fred did and that's how Fred got to be the employee of the month, that's what you're going to foster at your business. So we have to stop celebrating Fred as the employee of the month. And we have to look for somebody who has the balance that you want your business to be able to afford the people who work in it, to be able to live. Celebrate somebody who's exemplifying what an employee can experience working here. Then we talk about how they did it. And then we get everybody else to drive in that direction because people stop thinking, oh, all my boss wants me to do is uh, crush at my desk all day. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so talk to me about this idea because I think this will move very seamlessly into kind of this next question. But talk to me about why the trainers and coaches that are listening to this show should be working to bridge this gap between fitness and healthcare because you're absolutely right. There's this gray area. There's this huge void. How can we go about doing that? They should do it because they're inspired by it. And if they're not inspired, like – if you're, a, if you're a coach right now or a gym owner, what I want you to think about right now is the person you see every single day walking into the gym who has not changed in the last year, two years, six months. If it's a micro gym like a CrossFit gym, for example, they're the person who's still on the rower when everybody else goes out for a run, who's still doing ring rows because it hurts them to hang from the pull-up bar and it hasn't changed in a year. The person who quit the gym because they told you that their schedule just didn't line up anymore when you know the reality is they were tired of scaling every day and it just wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't worth it. If you own a big box, I want you to think about the person who walks in leaning left leg to right leg, left leg to right leg, left leg to right leg, who then hides on the machines in the corners and isn't getting the results that they're signed up to the gym for, but they're patting themselves on the back for showing up when you know you could do much better for them. If you can't picture either of those i want you to go to a theme park and just sit on a bench and watch who walks by all day and you can either make the decision to be judgmental about the people who are walking by who are out of shape who are unhealthy who are wearing knee braces who have canes who have compression socks on or you can become a part of the solution to their problem if thinking about that isn't inspiring to you no judgment you shouldn't get involved in this there are plenty of people who would be better off helping football players run faster 40s. Bodybuilders get bigger muscles. Basketball players jump higher, right? Moms mm -hmm. who are already fairly healthy get fit in cardio kickboxing because it's fun. No, no disrespect to any of that. You know, start a CrossFit gym, coach in a CrossFit gym, help people who are trying to reclaim their high school, college athleticism. Go for it. That's what it's really for. Right. We all know it. We just don't want to talk about it. If you're, inspired to help the people I described earlier, then you should do it because you're inspired by it. Now, the financial reward of it is going to be there, but only if it, because I, I think that burnout is what happens when people pursue someone else's goals. Yes. Even if you catch them, if you pursue someone else's goals, you're bound to burn out no matter how successful you are because you're waking up in the morning like oh, another day. I shouldn't need to give people a good reason to get involved. They should want to get involved. The, the hard part, Mike, is acknowledging that they can't already do it. Because sure. everybody wants to believe that um, caring is, is the standard of excellence. When it's not, it's entry level. 
See, I love that comment too. Like a lot of people hang their hat on, well, I just, I really care about my people. Well, I mean, that's great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I care about my people too. But like you said, that's entry level. There's got to be more to it than that. If you're going to have some longevity in the game. Well, it's also, it's also, um, part of my French, it's bullshit. Yeah. Because, because if, if you care about somebody and they're not making the change, how, how is, how is continuing to have them come do the same thing? How is that caring? How is that exemplifying your caring? If, if somebody says to you, like if they, if people told you how they felt when they were by themselves and now you knew, wow, that person feels insecurity. They don't feel like they're the parent that they want to be. They're not the example for their kids. They're struggling to bring their insecurities to work. It's, it's affecting their job. They have to pick things in the mirror based, they have to pick clothes based on how it hides parts of their body. And then they go out and they worry about how they sit because what if someone sees me from this angle wearing this outfit? Like, I don't want that to be the case. And you still let them come to your gym and do the same thing they've always done and not change that. How much do you care? Yeah. It's what, what you care about is avoiding the conflict of the conversation where you say, I can't help you for what you're paying for what you're getting. It's not going to work. I need to charge you more money, give you more accountability service you in a deeper way and take responsibility for helping you. Yeah. But they think oh, asking for more money means you don't care. You're just money. Hungry. No, it means, it means that you, you care enough to tell them that what they're doing now isn't going to work and you don't want them to keep spending money if that's what they're going to do. I like that. Okay. So one thing that is very interesting is you obviously had success before you got to what you're doing now, right? Am I correct in saying you had not one, not two, but three gems? Yeah, but those weren't successful. So let's be clear about things. Oh, okay. I had I had I had one gym that was that was successful and then we lost it to a hurricane. Hurricane okay. Sandy came up the coast and wiped it out. That gym was successful. Yeah. I had a second gym that um the the week before it was set to open, the person who was supposed to run it uh unfortunately made a bad decision, got in a car drunk, and had a head on collision and went to prison for six years. Yeah. So we had to re- we had to replace the person running it, and I made a haphazard decision about who that was, and then I absentee managed it into the ground. The third location uh, is still operational. That one was successful. It wasn't as successful as it could have been, um, but by all measures of anybody's outside looking in, it was successful. Okay. So as somebody that owns a gym, right, and I know a lot of people that listen to the show either own a gym, want to open a gym someday, whatever, whatever, You kind of had, and again, maybe this is incorrect, maybe this isn't your dream, but there are people that had the dream of, I want to open a gym, and you left that behind, right? Like you went in a totally different direction. Was that hard for you at all? Yes, I had many people's dream. I know what I had was their dream. And and I turned my back on it because um, I wasn't inspired by it. I woke up in the morning and felt, and I didn't want to feel that way when I woke up to come to work. And was it hard? Yeah. The hard thing about it was telling my wife that we were no longer going to own the business where um, she felt like her social community was, was built in. It was telling my parents that I'm finally making $120,000 a year. Nice Jewish boy from Long Island finally making $100,000 a year after struggling for years. And I'm going to turn my back on it and do something. I have, I have, I have no idea if it's going to be successful. Um, telling them your, your son, the doctor, isn't going to see patients anymore and I'm going to let my license lapse. That was the hard part. But I remember uh, having a revelation where I realized all of those people, my wife who supports me no matter what I do, um, my parents who support me no matter what I do, all of them who check me, they just want me to be happy. Right. They just want me to be happy. And so when I came to that realization, it allowed me to have a conversation with them where I said, look, you, you just want me to be happy, right? Yes. And you imagine that I would be happy with the success that I had, right? Yes. Yes. Now you're getting it. I'm like, oh, I need you to understand something. I wasn't. I would be happier in the pursuit of an uncertain outcome doing something that inspires me than I would being successful at something that doesn't. And when I said that to them, they were like, wow, okay. 
And I said, my dad said, well, just keep your license just in case. <laughs> sure. And I said, I said, I love you. I'm not going to do that <laughs> because I, I, I'm not going to have a fallback plan. Burn the ships. Burn everything. Yeah. Would you say, is it fair to say that it was more the external stuff that worried you than internally, whether you thought you would be successful or not? It's more like the perception and dealing with other people's kind of stuff or thoughts about you than it was about you getting over the fact like, hey, I'm going to get rid of this because I'm not passionate about it anymore. I think that's what holds everybody back. I don't think anybody yeah, has, has has the internal dilemmas that are like, oh, I wonder how I'm going to feel about this. It's what if I can't afford my house? But you sell it. What if I can't afford my car? Walk. Like what, what? There are people who are making less money making it work. It's, it's, it's the fear about how are people from the outside going to view me? Yes. You know, so, so I'll, I'll give you some, some really clear perspective. I, I, in April of 2018, I went to a mastermind to learn how to be more successful. And everyone who was there was sharing photos of the new car they just got. One guy's got a Lamborghini, another guy's got a Range Rover, another guy's got a G-Wagon. And I'm like, I just got a Buick. It's <laughs> seven. Right? Like it's, it's practical. It's gray with a little, little speck in it. It's really cute. Um, I don't fit in here because I don't even like, yeah, I want those things, but I don't want to be the person who's like flaunting it. Right. I want it for me. And, and it occurred to me that in that moment, I'm like, wow, none of these people own those cars for themselves. They own these cars for somebody else to tell them how awesome they are. Yes. I don't need someone to tell me how awesome I am. I know I'm awesome. And Make no mistake about it. I still want those cars. Um, but the house I live in right now, the town I live in, it's like houses are close together. I'm on a 60 by 100 lot, which is huge for where I live. Um, 60 feet by 100 feet, yeah. if you're wondering. Um, my, my garage isn't car accessible. I'm not going to park a Ferrari in the street or outside in the rain in the driveway. And I'm not moving. And I'm not going to rent a garage space somewhere that I can house my car so I can drive my ego around. Right. So I bought the Buick again. So you burned the bridges. You burned all the things. Talk to me about when you're going in and you've got this idea of what you want to create. Talk to me about Active Life RX, Active Life Professional. What were your goals there? What did you want to set out to achieve? I wanted to change the industry. I wanted to create a better version of physical therapy for people who were interested in living active lives, who felt like their story of their life that they had planned had been ripped away from them. Like all of a sudden now it's the way that your body looks, feels, or performs is the limiting agent on what you can do in life. That's not real. We can fix that. And, and I didn't want people to feel like that had to be the way that their life went. And so my vision at the time, frankly, was just to, scale out to thousands of people, helping them one-on-one build this big staff and help them one-on-one from around the world. And then when coaches started getting word about what we were doing, it became, we should teach coaches how to do this. And then when coaches started experiencing that success, I was, I was like, this is really, really, really cool because affecting the coach affects more people than I could work with. And I don't have to employ everybody. Yes. And then it was the gym owners. Like, Whoa. If we can affect gym owners, we can affect five, 10, 20 coaches at a time. This is, this is it. Um, and now really what it's come down to is we, we just keep solving our own problems. And the next problem that we're solving is we were helped. Most of the people who we work with were CrossFit gym owners who fell uninspired by CrossFit. You know, 10 years ago when they opened, they were like, this is the thing. And that 10 years in, they're like, this is not the thing. And, and but, but what do I do? Right. And so we help them move to the next thing. And what I'm realizing now more and more and more is that we need an entirely new business model that is completely departed from anything that looks, feels, smells like the gym they used to own. And so we're helping gyms move out of commercial, out of the back alley uh, warehouse into a retail location that, that's much more attractive to the end user. Uh, away from giving discounts to firefighters, police officers, teachers, first responders, family members, and all that, to charging a premium 
to solve problems for people that no one else in the market can solve. So that when there are 14 gyms in your town, every one of them becomes a referral source, whether it's on purpose or by accident. And then when COVID hits, you are the business that people have to keep paying because you can serve them from anywhere. Having the brick and mortar is a luxury. It's not a necessity. You're providing them with the coaching that they needed when they couldn't make it into the business so they could keep living the life that they dreamed of that they finally reclaimed working with you. We needed a whole new business model, and so we built one. So your goal is to impact thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. How did it start? Like, 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 because Helping that's one. a huge vision, right? So somebody Helping that's one. listening. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but here, here's the thing with great, with great ambition comes great procrastination. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I've learned that. And so what I, what I've changed my focus to is like, what's the problem at hand right now? Your vision doesn't have to like, one of my favorite books is the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. And he talks about beginning with the end in mind. And while I, understand and respect the principle of it it's nonsensical because i when you're when you're three years old you can't imagine what it's like to be a teenager sure when you're a teenager you can't imagine what it's like to be in your 30s when you're in your 30s you can't imagine what it's like to be in your 60s and yet we all expect to go from three to teen to 30 to 60 and on right? Yeah. We have no idea what it's going to be like when we get there, how our priorities are going to shift, how the world is going to be different. So to start to set this, like our business ends here is a mistake. Shoot broader, right? It's our business ends right now at providing a completely transformative service to one person. And then what's going to happen from that person is they're going to share with us the next problem that they have. And they're going to want us to solve it because we solved the last one so thoroughly. Solve that one next. And then keep going. And then ultimately you start to get the foresight and you're like, oh, wow, this is the problem that they're going to have next. Let's start solving that. A lot of times when I get stuck, I just like to think of the next actionable step. Right? So like you talked about, if you've got big goals, big dreams, big ambitions, it can be overwhelming to look at the whole to-do list. So instead of looking at all the things, what's the next thing I have to do to move this in the right direction? One of my early mentors was a guy named Jesse Itzler. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but if you're a basketball mm-hmm. fan, he's a minority owner of the Atlanta Hawks. He oh, okay. used, to own, used to own Marquee Jet, and then he owned uh, Zico Water. Okay. His, his wife just sold the majority stake in Spanx. She founded that. Okay. So one of the things he talked to me about when I was working with him was just keep asking how. How? Start at the end that that you can imagine. And then ask how until you get to the phone number that's already in your phone. Mm -hmm. And call it. Right? So, so for example, right now, one of the things that I foresee is if we want to really hit the kind of scale that we're anticipating, we're going to need to subsidize what this costs people. Because a gym that we would own and operate would cost $650 a month to the average, to to the minimum person coming in the door. In New York, yeah, not in New York City, in Long Island. In the city, it would be more like a thousand. If if I was opening one of these gyms in a town that has like eight thousand people in rural Michigan, we'd be charging closer to five hundred dollars a month. So that should give you some perspective. We have one opening in a blue collar town in rural Michigan, population eight thousand, median household income sub forty, five hundred bucks a month. I know that if we want to scale this out the way that I want to scale it out and have the real impact that I want to have, it's got to, it's got to go past the innovation point of servicing the people who can afford it to servicing many, many, many more. And that's going to require things like insurance support, people being able to use their HRAs and their HSAs. And so how? And I just got to like, okay, well, do I know any doctors who work in big hospital systems? Yes, call them. Ask them how. And you just keep going. And now all of a sudden you're in talks with some of the biggest hospitals in the country about, yeah, we like this idea. How do we do this with you? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Okay. So I want to diverge just a little bit here and bring this back to the people, so to speak. So 
young trainer, young coach is listening to this show. They love what you're you're getting at and your vision. What advice would you give them to start off and to have success in this industry, not just in the short term, but over the long haul? Uh, put the money aside. But take take the money out of it. When I say that, I want to be really clear about what I mean. Because too many people in this industry are already falling on the sword of martyrdom that they don't make any money in this. They yep. do it because they love it. Yep. I'm asking you to ask yourself if, if you could solve these problems for people and make enough money to live your life. Because you can make money in a million ways. Mm-hmm. Is this how you would want to do it? If I told you you have to wake up every day and work your entire day, to earn your income doing one thing. Is this what it is? If it's not, stop this second and figure out what it is. And when I say stop, I mean, continue doing it until you've found something else to do, but turn every waking moment of your energy to finding something else to do and put a deadline on it. You can't can't do this forever. And I'm talking about a deadline that's, fewer than six months away to transition out of what you're doing. Then start doing the thing that you think is what you can do forever and re-ask yourself the same question and keep going until the answer is yes. And then figure out how to do it at such a world-class level that you're undeniable. And then you'll make all the money you ever needed to make doing the thing that is the only thing you want to do to make money. Before I opened my first gym and I had no idea how to make money doing what I was doing, none. In 2011, I got offered a job that would have paid me seven figures in my first, maybe second year <laughs> working, in, work, working in finance as a 29-year-old Yeah. in Hong Kong. The offer was made. I was with my wife. The offer was made. Don't even go home. Just stay here. You're making a million dollars before you're 30. Don't open the gym you're planning to open. Don't open the clinic you're planning to open. It doesn't matter. You have your degree. It took me less than a second to tell that person no. Yeah. Even though I believed 100% that it would have been true. I told them no because that's not how I wanted to spend my time making money. Not because I didn't want to make a lot of money. Of course I do. Right. Anyone who tells you I don't care about making money, they're lying to you. It's I didn't want to make a lot of money doing that. Yes. Well, I saw that, that one. No, I saw that on your social. And I think that that's something that people need to hear, right? Like, it's great that you're altruistic, that you care about people, that you want to take great care of them. All that's fine. There's nothing that says you can't be all those things and also want to do well for yourself financially at the same time. And I think in too fact, often I, people see that disconnect. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think if you're not doing well for yourself, you're going to struggle to do that at the level you could otherwise do it. Absolutely. And so, so I'll give you an example. Let's take somebody who donates a bunch of time to charities right now. They're not making a lot of money at all. They're not making any money at all. They're donating a bunch of time to charities and they're struggling to make ends meet. So now they're doing whatever they need, odd jobs to make the money. What if, like, if you take all the work that you did for the charity and you, you look at it over a 20 year span, 10 year span, would the impact that you could have on that charity if you just put all of that energy into getting yourself to a stable place and being successful yourself so that in 10 years you can give all of your energy, all of your money if you want, all of your attention to the charity that you kept in the back burner for 10 years? Which yeah. person has a greater impact on that charity? The one who has a little bit right now every day or the one who gives everything after being successful for 10 years? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I feel like I see this a lot in our space. It's, you know, the, the trainer is kind of middling away. They're treading water, barely making ends meet. So then there's this scarcity mindset of, oh, but but I don't have money to invest in this course. You know, it's like all of these belief systems and then it's self-perpetuating, right? So they're not mm-hmm. willing to invest. I mean, you kind of alluded to this earlier. They don't see the path. And so now... Ultimately, they stay the same or worst case, 
They want to be there and leave the industry because they don't feel like they can see the results, whether it's professionally or financially, that they feel like they deserve. Well, because generally speaking, a person in this industry doesn't know anybody who's experienced any kind of real success in this industry, except for the people they see on Facebook selling them some course. Yeah. And so they're like, yeah, I don't need to be another person who you teach how to build an online course, teaching people how to build online courses, <laughs> teaching people how to build online courses, where at the end of the day, it's really just a big pyramid scheme. Yes. Um, and people know that. Yeah. And, and, and this, unfortunately, some suckers don't. And they get taken. Yeah. Um, enough of them to make those other people at the top a lot of money. I'm all for capitalism and making a ton of money. Like, please go make a ton of money and then decide that it's not important and give it all away. But make it first. Right. Um, and do it in a way that you can wake up in the morning and pound your chest because you're excited about going to work. Yeah. See, I like that. Like, I, 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 had a, I had a client yesterday. I got a gift in the mail yesterday. It was a, a fern plant uh, from a client named Richard Francis, who lives in the UK. And Richard sent me the fern because he's enrolled in our courses since 2018. He has a brother with a disability who struggles to walk, hasn't walked outside in 10 years. And Richard posted a video yesterday or two days ago of his brother walking outside for the first time in 10 years. Wow. When they start, they started in August of last year, walking in the gym from about four feet, four feet with, with, you know, mats and everything around them. Yeah. And Richard saw me make a post basically saying I had a plant in my office, but it died. And he saw another post where I said, I keep um, every thank you card someone's ever sent to me because it's, it's more important to me than anything else. When I'm having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, I go through my thank you cards and I read them. And so Richard sent me a plant to live on my shelf and a thank you card for the way that we've changed his life. I'm getting chills talking about it. Yeah, that's cool. You think, you think I'm not excited to make a lot of money helping people like that? Yeah. And, and I recently shared a post of somebody who came to me and was like, I want to work with you. I said, you shouldn't. You're not a fit. Not because you're not a good person, because what we would ask you to do are things that you wouldn't enjoy. Yeah. Keep your money. Here's what I think you should do instead. I want to I want a clear mind. I'd rather go out of business telling people that they shouldn't work with us and not being able to find the right ones than make a ton of money on the backs of people who fail. Yeah. What it I don't know, man. Just if you've done this long enough, you've seen the ups and downs, you've seen the people, the shills and all of that. And I don't know. I just would much rather be like you in the sense that, like, hey man, look, I'm for certain people and I am not for others. And maybe it takes you a little while to figure that out. But when you do, be really clear on who you're for and who you're not for. You have to say yes to everybody early on. Yes. Like early in your career, just you don't think you're going to enjoy working with that person. Say yes anyway. Yeah. And and find out for sure. And then when you start to figure out who you are, you know who to say no to. Yep. And if you keep saying no to the wrong people and yes to the right people, you're going to get, you're going to be full. Yeah. People always say to me like, most people aren't going to want to do that show. Like, good. Good. <laughs> right. I, I avoid going to events where my kids' friends' parents are because most people complain about their jobs and their spouse. Yeah. I don't want to be around most people. Yeah. I love my marriage. I love my job. I don't relate when you tell me that your marriage sucks and you hate your job. Just fix them. Right. Right. I love it. Okay. Big question time, my guy. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Dr. Sean Pastuch one piece of advice, what would it be? Focus. So I, I'm, I'm a person with, I'm aware of myself now, much better than I ever was. I have a lot of ability and a lot of energy. And I never really believed that any one thing could require all of my ability and all of my energy. I was wrong. Putting all of my ability and all of my energy into one thing is the only way it works for me. Right. So I would have told me to focus. I could still own my gyms and my clinics and not work in them if I had focused. Like it. Okay. Last but not least, lightning round. Six fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. Here we go. Number one, 
What's your career highlight so far as a fitness professional? Seeing staff members being able to buy homes and go on vacations. Early on, did you have those situations where like vacations just out, that sort of thing? Like, did you deal with that? Yeah. See, me too. So that's why it's a big deal to me as well. Like the first Mm -hmm. job I had, I literally didn't get to take a vacation. Like it was not allowed the first year. I had a I had a person on our team last week ask me, how do I get over the guilt of taking two weeks off? And I said, <laughs> by realizing that those two weeks aren't for you, they're for me. Because you're going to be a better version of yourself when you get back than you are right now. Yes. And so I know that you need those two weeks. And I want you to take them. And by the way, if you need two more, take them too. And if you yeah. need two more, take them too. Right. We have unlimited time off. I want you to be the best. I would rather have you be incredible, incredible than be very good all year. I like it. Okay. Number two, proudest moment as a dad so far. I went to, I remember when I went to my daughter's, um, there's two examples. I'm going to give you both. You don't get just one. Now give them them to me. one, One was for me and one was for her. Okay. Um, in 2018, when I finally started making some real money for myself, uh, doing things I loved to do, I went to my daughter's Father's Day event at her school. She was three. And she ran over to me when I walked in the door and said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I didn't have my phone. Phone was in my car. I was 100% there for my oldest daughter. And I, I started crying because I knew that a year ago, I, I wouldn't have been there for her. Like, I, maybe I would have shown up. Right. But mentally, I wouldn't have been there for her. Yes. And I would have had that guilt inside. And I was able to recognize in that moment, that like, no, 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 I am here. This is what's important right now. Yep. And, and that this is why I did this. Uh, so that was my proudest moment of myself as a father. My proudest moment, I guess, of my daughter was I came to watch her in the school show a couple of years later. And they're doing this dance where they're like hands on their hips and they're swiveling back and forth. And she walks like she inches closer to this kid next to her and just wallops him. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm talking like, like swings her elbow into him, swings her elbow into him, keeps hitting him. And I'm like <laughs> in the stands. I'm like, what is going on? Right. And all the parents are around me. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. She comes off and I'm like, Mackenzie, what was that? And she's like, what? I'm like, you were elbowing the kid next to you. And she's like, Oh, you mean blaze? I said, sure. And she's like, yeah, that's because before we came out, Blaze pushed me. And you told me if somebody ever hits me, I can hit them back and I can hit them harder and I can hit them more. So <laughs> I waited I, I waited until I could get close to Blaze and hit him back. And I, I was like, you know it. what? Outstanding. Yes. Oh, I love it. Dude. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Number three, you have to sing one song for karaoke night. What is it? Oh my gosh. A song for karaoke night. Sweet Child of Mine. Oh yeah. Classic. That's a good one. That would be a good one. Okay. Number four. When it's all said and done, what do you want people to say about your work in the fitness industry? It it was never the same after. Transformation, right? Transformative. Yeah. You know, the thing is like you talk about the fitness industry, it won't be fitness. It's, I, I believe that the ship has sailed. Yep. And then, like, we've already decided fitness is commoditized. It's going to stay there. I don't want to be in fitness. Right. Well, it's I too far be, gone. It's too far gone. I want, I want people to identify the space between fitness and healthcare as actively. Love it. Number five, I'm interested in this. Most impactful book you've read in the past one to two years? In the past one to two years. If you don't like that, you can give me all time. But sometimes, no, it's okay. Uh, most in the last one to two years, it's tax-free wealth. Okay, I don't think I've read that one. It's just very practical. Yeah, right. It's 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 the book that like, hey, if you're making money, here's how you can keep it. Huh. Okay, that's great. That changes yeah. things. I love the idea of that. Um, and and all time is 
probably The Alchemist. Yes. Yep. Because it's the first book I ever read cover to cover. Really? And and I I was always the kid who would show up to class having read like a page or two from the chapter, listened to everybody else talk, and then I could write a whole paper on the book. And I never wanted to read the book. Right. I was bored by it. I lost focus. And so finishing The Alchemist made me feel like you can do this. Right. I like that. Okay. Last but not least, what's next for Dr. Sean? More of the same. Yeah. Focus, right? You know, it's, 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 it's keep solving the problem that we're solving until the next problem arises. Love it. Well, Sean, dude, this has been awesome, man. been really great to catch up with you, learn more about your business, all the great stuff you're doing. Where can my listeners find out more about you? Uh, if they're on Instagram at Dr. Sean Pestuch on Instagram, you can find everything about me and my companies there. Uh, and if you're on LinkedIn, Sean Pestuch on LinkedIn. There's two accounts because they don't know how to delete one. Find the one that's active. <laughs> Got it, man. Well, I'll get all the links in the show notes so people can link up with you. But again, my friend, thank you so much for your support. Love what you're doing and uh, keep up the good work, dude. Thank you. It was my pleasure, Mike. I really enjoyed talking to you today. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Dr. Sean Pastuch. Really hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you liked getting to know him a little bit more. Sean is one of those people that I had connected with loosely before the episode, but it was really great listening to how passionate he is about what he's doing and how he's diving into this whole concept of really bridging the gap between training and healthcare and how we as trainers and coaches can fill a vitally important need in our industry. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a thing or two. And if nothing else, maybe he challenged your thought process on what we can do and what we can be as trainers and coaches. So if you enjoyed the episode, I got one small favor to ask. If you have not already, go right now and subscribe to the show iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, the Amazon Store. Wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now and subscribe so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. I'm telling you, I've got this lineup coming up here. It's an absolute murderer's row of great, great guests. And I think each and every week, you are going to become a little bit better at your craft when you listen to the show. So definitely make sure you're subscribed. As always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you, and we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.